Allah says, وَكَذَلِكَ And likewise, فَتَمْنَا We have tried بَعْضَهُمْ Some of them بِبَعْضٍ With others. Meaning, in this way, we have tested people with each other. How? That the rich people, they become a test for the poor, and the poor people become a test for the rich. People of high social status, they become a test for who? People of lower social status, and vice versa. People are a test for one another. وَكَذَلِكَ فَتَنَّا بَعْضَهُمْ بِبَعْضٍ لِيَقُولُوا So that they say, who? The wealthy ones, those who are arrogant, they say, أَحَاهُلَاءِ Is it these poor ones? مَنَّ اللَّهُ Allah has favored عَلَيْهِمْ upon them مِنْ بَيْنِنَا From among us. That when the poor and the weak, when they embraced Islam, when they were with the Prophet ﷺ, what happened? The arrogant ones, they said, these people are the ones whom Allah has favored on, favored with iman. In other words, what they're saying is that if this religion was true, then these people would not have accepted it. The fact that it's all these uneducated and poor and backward in the worldly sense, you know, such people have embraced this religion, it shows that this religion is not that great. Whereas if it was a rich person who had accepted it, someone who's influential, if they had accepted this religion, then yes, it would be true. So many times what happens is that people try to judge something to be right or wrong based on what? Based on who is doing it and who is not doing it. If so-and-so is doing it, then it must be right. If so-and-so is not doing it, then it must be wrong. Is this the correct way? Is this the correct way? No, it's not. But unfortunately, many people, they are like that. They will wear something just because somebody is wearing it. They won't wear something just because somebody is not wearing it. We imitate others. We don't analyze the thing as to what it is in itself, but rather we just imitate others. Whatever somebody has said, we say the same thing about it. Allah says, Alaysa is not Allahu Allah bi'a'lama, one who is most knowing, bishakirin, with those who are grateful. Is Allah not the one who is best aware of the grateful ones, of the thankful ones? Who are the grateful ones over here? Grateful ones are those who are thankful for what they have and what they have or what they don't have doesn't prevent them from accepting the truth. What they have or what they don't have doesn't prevent them from accepting the truth. They accept the truth because it is the truth. Not because someone who is wealthy has accepted it or someone who is poor has accepted it. No, they accept the truth because they recognize it to be the truth. So such people, Allah knows who they are and He guides them. So in other words, don't think that something is right just because somebody is doing it, or something is wrong just because somebody is doing it. No. Something is right because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said it is right. And something is wrong because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said it is wrong. That should be our criteria. Our criteria should not be who's doing it and who's not doing it. Our criteria should be what has Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said about it? What did the Prophet ﷺ do about this? That is our criteria. And those people who are like this, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala calls them shakiri because He will guide them to the right way. وَإِذَا and when جَاءَكَ He comes to you. Who? الَّذِينَ Those people who يُؤْمِنُونَ They believe بِآيَاتِنَا In our verses. فَقُلْ Then say سَلَامٌ عَلَيْكُمْ Peace be upon you. The Prophet ﷺ is told over here that when the believers come to you, 
then you should say salam to them. Generally, what's the rule? Who should say salam? The one who is coming in or the one who's already inside? The one who's coming in. They are the ones who are supposed to greet those who are already in. But over here, the Prophet ﷺ is told, when the people come to you, you say salam. Why? Why is the opposite thing being mentioned over here? Because, because why? Like for example, let me make this clearer to you. Let's say you're at home. Your mother walks in. Technically, your mother should say salam. But you get up and say salam first. Why? Why? Because you're younger. Right? Out of respect, you have to say salam. Okay. Another example. You're at home and your friend comes in. Before even she says salam, you say salam. Why? Because you are welcoming them. So sometimes, out of respect, you initiate the salam. And other times, to welcome the other person, you initiate the salam. So the Prophet ﷺ is told over here, that you initiate the salam when the believers come to you. Why? In order to welcome them. In order to welcome them. Because it's a horrible feeling when you go somewhere and the person doesn't greet you. If you're not greeted, you feel like you're not welcomed. And you just want to go away. You just want to go back. You don't have the confidence to speak to them. You know, it becomes so awkward. You can't even sit with them. So the Prophet ﷺ is told to welcome the believers to the best of his ability. Greet them. Say salam to them. فَقُلْ سَلَامٌ عَلَيْكُمْ And say to them that kataba He has prescribed رَبُّكُمْ Your Lord عَلَى نَفْسِهِ Upon Himself الرَّحْمَ The mercy. Give them hope. Give them this good news that your Lord is so merciful that He has made mercy mandatory on Himself. Meaning, when they're coming to you, they're sharing with you their problems, their sufferings, give them hope. Typically what happens? If somebody shares with us their suffering, their problems, we tell them, you should do istighfar, sister. Think about it. Did you do anything wrong lately? Huh? We make a person feel guilty. You must be very sinful because of which you are going through this hell. The Prophet ﷺ is told, tell the people when they come to you, your Lord is very merciful. Give them hope. Comfort them. أَنَّهُ Indeed he مَنْ amila Whoever does minkum from you سُوءًا Evil Any sin بِجَهَالَةٍ Out of ignorance ثُمَّ then Taba He repents مِنْ بَعْدِهِ After that وَأَصْلَحَ And he reforms فَأَنَّهُ غَفُورٌ رَحِيمٌ Then indeed his Lord is most forgiving and most merciful. Give them hope that if there is a person who has committed something wrong out of ignorance then if he repents to Allah, he says sorry, and he makes amends, whatever damage was caused, he fixes that, then inshallah he will find Allah forgiving and merciful. This is a Makki surah. Alright? And in Makkah, the Muslims were suffering from a lot of persecution. And because of that persecution, many times, even though they knew something, they wouldn't be able to do it. Or they knew that something is wrong, still they would have to do it just because of that persecution, just to save their lives. And many times they would be unaware of what was right and what was wrong. Why? Because when they were living in so much fear, 
When do you think they had the chance to learn? And besides, the laws had not been revealed yet. The laws had not been revealed yet. And also think about it. These people were, you can say, recent converts. Okay? And for them, all of a sudden, everything is different. For a person who's been living a life of zina, all of a sudden to know you cannot commit zina, for many people, it's impossible. There will be times when they will fall into it. Just like that, if somebody is addicted to alcohol, all of a sudden for them to find out, I cannot have alcohol anymore, it will be difficult. So no matter how much they try, there will be times when they will make a mistake. But at the end of the day, they are trying to improve themselves. So when such people come to you, asking you about what they should do, they have committed a mistake, they've committed a big sin, give them hope. Greet them, welcome them. Don't turn them away that, oh you sinful one, just go away, don't even come near me. You have alcohol, you zani, get away from here. No. When they're coming in, be happy at least that they're coming. Welcome them. How is a person meant to change and improve if you don't even let them come? Many times it happens that in the masajid, all sorts of people come. Right? Sometimes they come with proper hijab and sometimes they don't come with the proper hijab. But typically what's the reaction of people? There are big signs, big posters. As you walk into the masjid, make sure that your head is covered and your arms are covered and your legs are covered and your feet are not showing. So that as soon as a person walks in, he feels, oh, I don't belong here. I should better get out before I get into trouble. A person is coming in to find some peace. And immediately they're told, before even they step in, that you're not welcome here because of your dress. Is this the way to welcome the servants of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Is this the way to welcome Allah's servants into His house? No, this is not the correct way. Remember, no matter how a person is dressed, no matter what kind of actions they do, no matter what kind of reputation they have, when they come to the masjid, we have to welcome them. We have to welcome them. But many times it happens that if a sister is not dressed appropriately, we just stare at them. And we pass comments and we say things about them which are very, very hurtful. Be grateful for the fact that they're coming. Go talk to them. Ask them how they're doing. Ask them how their life is. You know, what's going on in their life. Be friends with them. And then inshallah, when you have developed that kind of relationship with them, you'll be able to influence them. But if at first you scare them away, how are you meant to influence them? Think about yourself. That I also committed the same mistakes. Perhaps I also dressed in the same way just a few weeks back, just a few months back, just a few years back. Allah is the one who guided me. What's so great about me? Nothing. Allah guided me. Allah is bringing this person as well. So I should welcome them. Not turn them off. Not turn them away. It doesn't mean that it's okay to dress in the wrong way. No, that's understood. The rules are clear. But there's a way of approaching people. There's a way of guiding people. You know, once my mother's teacher, I think I mentioned the story to you earlier, but if I did, I'm sorry that I'm repeating it, but I just love this. My mother's teacher, he was visiting us in Pakistan and lots of people were coming in when they found out that her teacher was there, they wanted to meet him as well. So this lady came in and with her, her daughter was there too. And her daughter had no hijab on, nothing. And she wasn't even dressed modestly. And uh, she came in and she said salam. And you would think that a sheikh, a big sheikh would be like, 
you know, he wouldn't even look up. He wouldn't even greet them. He wouldn't even have a conversation with them. I never heard him speak a word of English. Okay? He lived in England for many years. But I had never heard him speak a word of English. Always speaking in Arabic. But when she came to greet him, he said, Hello, how are you? How's everything? Okay, good. And he went back to his conversation. Just, hello, how are you? And then he went back to his conversation. He didn't have to look at her and you know, ask her how sinful she is or anything. Nothing. Nothing at all. Welcomed her very nicely and back to his work. So people don't feel awkward then. And then she herself actually felt a little strange. So she went and grabbed a hijab and she put it on. But he didn't make her feel unwelcomed. Not at all. So this is something that we need to develop as well. That when people come, welcome them. Welcome them. Acknowledge their presence. You know, say a word or two to them. Don't turn them off. And if somebody shares something such as this with you, that I have done something wrong, then don't say to them, oh, you're going to go to hell. Allah will never forgive you. You know, by the way, the punishment for this is death in Islam. Capital punishment. Do you realize what a serious crime you've committed? Don't say such things to them. Look at the ayah. مَنْ عَمِلَ مِنْكُمْ سُوءًا بِجَهَالَةٍ Whoever has done sin, whoever has committed sin amongst you, how? بِجَهَالَةٍ Out of jihala. What is jihala? Ignorance? Two things. First of all, that a person doesn't know at all. You know, for example, a person becomes a Muslim and they find out that this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. They say, I've been doing this stuff all my life. Will I ever be accepted as Muslim? Yes. Because after jahala, taba wa aslaha, then he will find Allah ghafoor rahim Alright? Second type of jahala is that a person knows, but for a few moments, he becomes like an ignorant person. Like he doesn't even realize what he's doing. He forgets that this is haram. He forgets that it's a sin. And he does it. And later on he finds out, what on earth did I do? He's regretful over the actions that he's committed. So whoever does wrong out of jahala, ثُمَّ تَابَ مِن بَعْدِهِ وَأَصْلَحَ فَأَنَّهُ غَفُورٌ رَّحِيمٌ Then he will find Allah forgiving and merciful. So there are many lessons in this ayah. First of all, that when people come, welcome them. Don't wait for them to say salam. You take the initiative. Whether it's children, or it's people of high social status or low social status, people who know more than you, know less than you, whoever they are, people who go to a different masjid, who go to a different halaqa, whoever they are, when people come, welcome them. Initiate the salam. Also we learn over here, that give importance to all people. Give importance to all people. Even those who have a bad history, okay, to those who have a very good history, someone who's done something seriously wrong recently, and someone who hasn't done anything wrong. Give importance to all people. And also, another important lesson that say words of hope, encouragement. Whenever we are advising people, let's say words which will you know, make them hopeful, encourage them to do something. وَكَذَلِكَ And thus, نُفَصِّلُ We detail الْآيَاتِ The verses. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions this in so much detail. Why? So that becomes clear to us. And also, وَلِتَسْتَبِينَ And so that it becomes evident. What? سَبِيلُ way الْمُجْرِمِينَ Of the criminals. The way of the sinful. That becomes very, very clear. 
Litastabina is basically from bayanun, from the word bayan. Mubin is also from the same root. And tastabina. There are some extra letters over here, besides the root letters. What are they? Sinanta. Okay? Just like, iyaka na'budu wa iyaka nasta'een. Istiqama. Isti'ana. Alright? Now sometimes these letters sinanta, when they are in a verb, they give the meaning of seeking. Right? Like for example, nasta'in, we seek help. But at other times, it gives the meaning of mubalagha. What does it mean by mubalagha? Hmm? Not really exaggeration. Basically that the action is being done you know, very forcefully or excessively. Okay, So, litastabina, it's not just that it becomes clear. It becomes very, very clear. It becomes evident. What becomes very clear? The way of the criminals. Meaning the wrong way. It becomes very clear. And when it's clear, then you will be able to avoid it. So over here we see something so small as mentioned, that the mushrikeen had a problem with sitting with who? People of lower social status. Why does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveal this? Why does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala address this issue? So that the way of the criminals is known, so that it can be avoided. So that we don't do the same thing that they did. That we don't want to sit next to a person who's of a different color. We don't want to sit next to a person who's from a different background, who has a different social status. No. Give importance to all people. Let's listen to the recitation. إن أتبع إلا ما يوحى إلي قل هل يستوي الأعمى والبصير أفلا تتفكرون وأنذر به الذين يخافون أن يحشروا إلى ربهم ليس لهم ليس لهم من دونه ولي ولا شفيع لعلهم يتقون ولا تطرد الذين يدعون ربهم بالغداة والعشي يريدون وجهه ما عليك من حسابهم من شيء وَمَا مِنْ حِسَابِكَ عَلَيْهِمْ مِنْ شَيْءٍ فَتَطُرُدَهُمْ فَتَكُونَ مِنَ الظَّالِمِينَ وَكَذَلِكَ فَتَنَّا بَعْضَهُمْ بِبَعْضٍ لِيَقُولُوا لِيَقُولُوا أَهَاؤُلَاءِ مَنَّ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِمْ Alayhissalamu 
From what? And that A'buda, I should worship Alladheena, those who Tad'oona min dunillah You call upon besides Allah I am not allowed to worship those Whom you call upon besides Allah What is it that the people call upon besides Allah? Many beings So the Prophet ﷺ was not allowed To dedicate any act of worship To any of them If that was the case with him What about us? The same rule applies to us, right? So whether it is a saint, or it is someone in the grave, or it is a star, whatever it may be, we are not allowed to dedicate any act of worship to them. Whether it is sajda, or it is dua, or it is sadaqa, anything. We're not allowed. It is haram. So much so that if a person does that, the Prophet ﷺ has been told that in ashrakta لَيَحْبَطَنَّ amaluk. If you do shirk, then all your good deeds, wasted. Wasted. In the Qur'an, what do we learn? That إِنَّهُ مَنْ يُشْرِكْ بِاللَّهِ فَقَدْ حَرَّمَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ الْجَنَّةِ Whoever does shirk with Allah, then Jannah is haram upon him. He cannot enter Jannah. So this is something that we have to take very seriously because shirk comes in in a very subtle manner that people don't even realize. It creeps in in a very subtle manner. Imagine like a black ant crawling on a black stone in the middle of a black night. It's so hidden that you don't even see it. You cannot even tell. Just like that, shirk creeps in. It creeps in. Like for example, a person is... You know, they desperately want children, for instance, and people tell them, you go to so-and-so person, and you give them this and this, and they'll tell you what to do, and you will have a child. So they think that, yes, if I go to this person, I listen to them, then what will happen? I will have a child. And many people, they fall prey to these things. So the Prophet ﷺ has been told, say, إِنِّي نُهِيتُ أَنْ أَعْبُدَ الَّذِينَ تَدْعُونَ مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ any form of shirk we have to avoid. It is haram on us. Qul say, La attabi'u ahwa'akum. I do not follow your desires. Because shirk in reality, what is it? It's the people's desires. It's things that they have invented, they have come up with themselves based on their desires. Oh, this sounds good. Oh, this sounds good. So they do it. And as a result, they are committing the most serious sin. You know, for example, people would have lots of dates and they would say, okay, let's make an idol with it. So they would make an idol with it. Yeah, it looks really nice. Okay, we're hungry. Let's eat it. This is all ahwa. Desires. How can you make a god with food and you eat it up yourself? Ahwa. People like something. They find a creature very amazing. And they're like, wow, let's start worshipping it. They find a person who has a big white beard. Oh, he must be a saint. Hmm? 
they see a dream, shaitan comes to them and tells them, go to the grave of so and so, do sajda, and all your problems will be solved. And they do shirk. It's all ahwa. It's all desires. The Prophet ﷺ is told, tell them, I do not follow your desires. If I do so, قَدْ in fact, ضَلَلْتُ إِذًا I would go astray then. If I were to follow your desires, I would go astray. وَمَا أَنَا And not I, مِنَ الْمُفْتَدِينَ Of the rightly guided. Meaning then I wouldn't be of the rightly guided people. I would be misguided then. Now the mushrikeen of Makkah, they basically requested the Prophet ﷺ that please, just touch our idols once. You know, we really adore them and we love them and we sacrifice our lives for them, our money for them. Please, just touch them once. Just just give some importance to them. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forbade the Prophet ﷺ from doing that. No, you're not going to do that. Because if you were to touch an idol even, in respect, then what would happen? This would lead your ummah to committing shirk. And then what is the difference between shirk and tawheed? If the Prophet of Allah is touching an idol in veneration. So he was forbidden that, no, you're not going to do that. And if somebody does that, that is also a form of shirk. That you think a piece of stone that has been carved into the form of a creature or something, you think it has some special characteristics or some special importance, this is why you're touching it in honor. This is also kind of shirk. So you're not going to do that. قُلْ say. Tell them that inni ala bayinatin. Indeed, I am upon a clear evidence. Mir Rabbi from my Lord. I have clear evidence of what? Of Tawheed. Of the oneness of Allah. Of my prophethood. That whatever I say to you is based on what? Proof and evidence. Here you are performing your shirk based on your desires. And whatever I am telling you is based on what? Clear evidence and proofs. وَكَذَّبْتُمْ bi, And you have denied it. You have rejected the truth that I am presenting to you. مَا indi, I do not have ma that which تَسْتَعْجِلُونَ bi. You all hasten with. You all hasten for. That which you were hastening for, you wanted to come very quickly, I don't have it. تَسْتَعْجِلُونَ From عَيْن جِيم لَام عُجْلَ Which is to be hasty. To want something to happen very quickly before it's due time. So you are demanding something from me quickly. I don't have that. What is it that they were demanding from the Prophet ﷺ? We learned earlier, miracles. And then they also said, Okay, bring this day of judgment. You say that a day of judgment is going to come? Bring it already. You say that a punishment of Allah might come upon us? Bring it already. So the Prophet ﷺ is made to say over here, Tell them, I don't have it. It's not within my control. It's not within my power. No, it's with who? In, not. Al-hukmu, the decision. Illa, except lillah for Allah. The decision lies only with who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If He decides to punish you, He will send the punishment. If He decides to establish the day of judgment in your lives, then He will do so. The judgment belongs to who? Allah. I have no say in that. Yaqussu, He relates. Who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala relates al-haqqa, the truth. Yaqussu is from qassa, yaqussu, qaf, sad, sad, which is to narrate. Okay? Qissa from the same root, qasas. Alright? Qasasna. So, yaqussu al-haqqa. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala relates the truth. Meaning, whatever He says is the truth. Whatever He has informed us, whether it's about the Day of Judgment, or the coming of an impending punishment, whatever it is, it is the truth. Wahua and He is khayrul fasilin, the best of those who decide. 
He is the best of those who make judgment. Al-fasilin, plural of fasil. Fasil is one who does fasil, meaning decision. What kind of decision is this? That which separates between right and wrong. Between the guilty and the innocent. Because until a judgment is made, the reality is mixed up with falsehood. People don't know what is right, they don't know what is wrong. They don't know who is innocent, they don't know who is guilty. But when the decision is made, then it's clear. Okay, this is wrong, this is right. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He is khayrul fasilin. He is the best of deciders. How? Because His decision is based on what? On truth, on reality. There could be a judge who passes a judgment and in reality it may be wrong. So a person may be jailed for 40 years in isolation. And there are people who are saying he's innocent. But the judge said he is guilty, so he is guilty. But is that a correct ruling? Perhaps not, maybe not. But any judgment that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes, what is that? Correct and accurate and most true. So, وَهُوَ خَيْرُ الْفَاسِلِينَ Whatever decision He will make concerning you, it will be the best one. It will be the correct one. قُلْ say, لَوْ if أَنَّ Indeed, عِنْدِي with me. If I had مَا that which تَسْتَعْجِلُونَ بِهِ You all hasten for. In other words, if I had the power to bring the punishment on you, if I had the power to begin the Day of Judgment already, لَقُضِيَ Surely it would have been decided. What? الْأَمْرُ The matter. بَيْنِي Between me وَبَيْنَكُمْ And between you. Meaning, this matter would have been long over already. So in other words, your fate is not in my hands, is not in my control. It is with who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you are lucky that you have a merciful Lord who doesn't hasten the punishment upon you. Because if it was up to me, this matter would have been long over. Because think about it. If the decision for people's lives and their punishments was left to human beings. You think any person would be walking on this earth right now? Would be alive on this earth right now? Nobody. If you were given the ability and the authority to punish someone whom you believe is guilty, wouldn't you have done that already? Oh yeah, a long time ago. Right? In the worst ways perhaps, because when we hit somebody and we're angry, we want to take revenge. When we've been hurt, we want to take revenge. And if it was up to us, we would have taken revenge from the moment they hurt us. Or from the moment we saw the first signs. But the reality is that the fate of people is not with us. It lies with who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And human beings are very lucky that they have Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as their judge. Someone who gives them a chance to live and realize their mistake and repent. Because there could be someone whom you're really angry with today because of what they've done to you. If it was up to you, you would have sentenced them to hell 20 years ago. But they're alive today. Perhaps they've done tawbah. Perhaps you're not able to forgive them. But maybe Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will forgive them. And maybe on the day of judgment, He will also forgive them. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave them those 20 years to live, which you would never give them, but Allah has given them, so that they can make amends inshaAllah. So the Prophet ﷺ is told to say over here, that tell them, if the matter was up to me, it would have been long over. Wallahu a'lamu. And Allah is most knowing, bizzalimeen, with the wrongdoers. That just because a long time has passed, 
doesn't mean that someone who is wrong is not wrong anymore. No. If they've committed a crime, they are guilty. Even though they will be held accountable 50 years later, thousands of years later, doesn't matter. Someone who is wrong, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows they are wrong. So don't think that just because it's been so long and that person is happy and here you are suffering, don't think that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has forgotten you. No. Wallahu a'lamu bil-zalimeen. And we see that in Makkah. There were many people who opposed the Prophet ﷺ and persecuted him. Imagine Umar anhu. he came with a sword looking for the Prophet ﷺ to kill him. Didn't he? And he embraced Islam. Ikrimah bin Abi Jahl, he was on the wanted list until the conquest of Makkah, basically until he embraced Islam. So imagine so many years he opposed the Muslims, harmed the Muslims, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him the chance to do tawbah. Right? So this is a mercy of Allah that the final judgment concerning people is not with us, rather it is with Him alone. وَعِنْدَهُ And with Him. Meaning only He has مفاتح Keys الغيب of the unseen. مفاتح is the plural of مفتاح. And what is that? A key. So He alone possesses the keys of the unseen. What does it mean by this? Keys of the unseen. A key is what? Something that allows you to know or to have access to what is behind a locked door. Right? That is what a key is. If you don't have the key, you can't have access to what is behind the locked door. Okay? So imagine al-ghayb, unseen. What is unseen? The unseen refers to, it includes everything that is hidden from us. Everything that is hidden from us. And what is it that's hidden from us? What is it that's hidden from us? A lot. Right? Whether it's the future. That what's going to happen in the future. Who's going to do what? Who's going to go where? Who's going to die where? Who's going to be born where? Right? How many children a person is going to have? Who they're going to get married to? When they're going to die? All of this is what? Future. This is all part of unseen. Just like that, the day of judgment. Alright? Jannah, hellfire, hisab, accounting on the day of judgment. All of this is what? Al-ghayb. Likewise, ghayb doesn't just include the future. It includes everything that is present now, but we don't see it. We don't have access to it. We don't know it. Like for example, what's happening right now in the sky, you and I don't know. How much rain is going to fall today, we don't know. How much snow is going to come this year, we don't know. Alright? What's happening in Africa right now? I mean, right now, at this moment, we don't know. You have to check something to find out, right? So ghaib, it's a big realm basically. So this entire unseen, everything that's hidden from us, Allah alone has the keys to it. What does it mean then? He alone knows about it. He alone knows what's going to happen in the future. He knows who's going to go where, who's going to die where, who's going to do tawbah, who's going to die as a Muslim and not. He knows. وَعِنْدَهُ مَفَاتِحُ الْغَيْبِ لَا يَعْلَمُهَا No one knows it إِلَّا هُ except he. لَا not يَعْلَمُهَا He knows it إِلَّا هُ except he. Meaning only he knows these matters of the unseen. Now, with regards to Mafatihul Ghaib, it is recorded in Bukhari that 
The Prophet ﷺ said, مَفَاتِحُ الْغَيْبِ خَمْسٌ لَا يَعْلَمُهُنَّ إِلَّا اللَّهِ The keys of the unseen are five. None knows them except Allah. And then he recited the ayah in the Qur'an, Surah 31, Ayah 34, that إِنَّ اللَّهَ عِنْدَهُ عِلْمُ السَّاعَةِ That indeed Allah with him is the knowledge of the unseen. So first of all, what is it? Knowledge of the hour. Okay, meaning when the day of judgment is going to happen. Does any person know about it but Allah? Only Allah knows. Even the angel who has been assigned to blow the trumpet, does he know? He doesn't know. He's ready, just waiting for the order. As soon as he'll be commanded, he will blow the trumpet. Nobody knows when the day of judgment is going to happen, except for who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is one of the keys of the unseen. Secondly, وَيُنَزِّلُ الْغَيْثَ And he sends down the rain. Meaning the matter of rain is only with Allah. He knows when it will begin to rain and when it will stop. People can predict. They can estimate. But the exact precise knowledge is with who? With who? Allah alone. Thirdly, وَيَعْلَمُ مَا فِي الْأَرْحَامِ He knows what is in the wombs. Meaning, what is it? In the womb of a woman. Sometimes a woman has no idea and she's pregnant. He knows exactly if there is a baby... Okay, what stage that baby is at, and if it's going to be a girl or a boy, all right? If it's going to have a disability or not, who knows? Only Allah knows. Because sometimes I say this baby has a disability, abort it, right? And the mother says no, the baby is born, perfectly fine, perfectly fine. Or they say girl, happens to be a boy. They say boy, happens to be a girl, right? So he knows what's in the wombs. Then, fourthly, وَمَا تَدْرِي نَفْسٌ مَاذَا تَكْسِبُ غَدًا No person knows what it will earn tomorrow. You may have an idea of what you're going to do, what you're going to buy, what you're going to get, and then you come back with something completely unexpected. Right? So only he knows what you're going to do tomorrow. وَمَا تَدْرِي نَفْسٌ بِأَيِّ أَرْضٍ تَمُوتٍ And fifth, no person knows in which land it will die. Who knows these five things? Who knows these five things? Only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And what are these? مَفَاتِحُ الْغَيْبِ لَا يَعْلَمُهَا إِلَّا وَيَعْلَمُ And He knows مَا ذَات وَجْ فِي الْبَرِّ in the land وَالْبَحْرِ and the sea. Imagine, everything that's on land and everything that's in the sea, who knows? Allah. Sometimes we think, yeah, a few ants. But underneath the soil, there are thousands and thousands of ants. Who knows about them? Allah. وَيَعْلَمُ مَا فِي الْبَرِّ وَالْبَحْرِ And what's inside the sea? We haven't even discovered everything that's within the sea. That's in the depths of the ocean. We don't even know everything that's there. But who knows? Allah alone knows. وَمَا and not تَسْقُطُ It falls from seen قَافْطَى which is to drop. So nothing drops, nothing falls. مِنْ وَرَقَةٍ Of any leaf. Meaning no leaf falls. وَرَقَة applies to leaf as well as a petal. So no leaf falls, no petal falls. إِلَّا يَعْلَمُهَا Except that he knows it. The falling of a leaf is an event that is very subtle, that you don't even notice sometimes. How quietly it happens, without much noise, how quietly it happens, you don't even feel it. But every occurrence that takes place, every incident that takes place, even if it is as small as the falling of a leaf, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is aware of it. So what about our lives then? The actions that we do, the things that we do. You think he doesn't know? He knows everything. 
إِلَّا يَعْلَمُهَا وَلَا حَبَّةٍ And there is no grain in ظُلُمَاتِ الْأَرْضِ In the darknesses of the earth. A grain that is put in the earth. And it's in darkness because it's buried in the ground. Who knows it? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What's going on with that grain? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَلَا رَطْبٍ وَلَا يَابِسٍ And there is nothing that is رطب. رطب is fresh, tender, moist. So for example, a leaf that is fresh, a fruit that is fresh. Okay? وَلَا يَابِسٍ Nor anything that is dry. يَابِسٍ from يَابَسِينَ That which is dry, withered, hard. So a leaf that is dry. There is nothing fresh nor dry. إِلَّا except فِي كِتَابٍ مُبِينٍ In a clear record. You know peas, you get them fresh and you also get them dry. Right? You get them fresh and you get them dry. Who knows about every single seed and every single grain, whether it is fresh or dry? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We cannot even count how many there are, but Allah knows about them. So this ayah basically, it tells us about the complete and all-encompassing knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah knows about every incident, about everything that exists, whether it is hidden or it is manifest, whether people know about it or they don't know about it. Everything, no matter what state it is in, whether it is fresh or dry, its characteristics, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows. Every detail is known to Allah. This is how vast His knowledge is. And when this is how vast His knowledge is, that means that we have to trust Him. We have to trust Him. We have to believe Him. Whatever He tells us, we have to take it as is. If someone knowledgeable tells us something, we believe in them blindly. We follow them blindly. We don't understand the concepts ourselves and we say, oh yeah, so and so said, they have a PhD in this, I just follow them. Right? We say, yeah, my friend, she's a lot into food and you know, eating healthy and nutritious. So she says you should only have organic meat, so I just have organic meat. Why exactly? I don't know the details, but I just have only this. We trust them because of their knowledge. We follow them blindly. When Allah knows everything more than what we can even imagine, then why not trust Him? Why not surrender to Him? Because we cannot escape Him. Recitation. قُلْ إِنِّي نُهِيتُ أَنْ أَعْبُدَ الَّذِينَ تَدْعُونَ مِنْ دُونِ اللَّهِ قُلْ لَا أَتَّبِعُ أَهْوَاءَكُمْ قَدْ ضَلَلْتُ إِذًا وَمَا أَنَا مِنَ الْمُهْتَدِينَ قُلْ تَسْتَعْجِلُونَ بِهِ لَقُضِيَ الْأَمْرُ بَيْنِي وَبَيْنَكُمْ وَاللَّهُ أَعْلَمُ بِالظَّالِمِينَ وَعِندَهُ مَفَاتِحُ الْغَيْبِ لَا يَعْلَمُهَا إِلَّا هُوَ 
وَيَعْلَمُ مَا فِي الْبَرِّ وَالْبَحْرِ وَمَا تَسْقُطُ مِنْ وَرَقَةٍ إِلَّا يَعْلَمُهَا وَلَا حَبَّةٍ فِي ظُلُمَاتِ الْأَرْضِ وَلَا حَبَّةٍ فِي ظُلُمَاتِ الْأَرْضِ وَلَا رَطْبٍ وَلَا يَابِسٍ إِلَّا فِي كِتَابٍ مُبِينٍ سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك نشهد أن لا إله إلا أنت نستغفرك ونتوب إليك السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته